0: Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Joe's Voice. This is a podcast for little women, little men, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Peyton Thomas. I'm the author of the novel Both Sides Now. I'm also a writer for publications like Vanity Fair and The New York Times. Uh, and before I introduce our guest, I have one very happy announcement and then one very sad announcement. I'll start with the sad one. My friend Claudia Morales, who appeared on the podcast last year, you may have actually seen this in the news. Her partner was, we're recording this on... October 6, 2023. It's a Friday. And on Monday this week, Claudia's partner, Ryan Carson, was murdered. She's grieving an immense loss. She's also been dealing with a lot of harassment from the right wing who've kind of gotten hold of the story. So we will be putting Ryan's memorial fund in the show notes of this. I've also shared the link on the Joe's Boys Instagram. That's at Joe's Boys pod. If you'd like to contribute, Claudia has been a good friend of mine since I was a teenager. And it's just this is obviously devastating to see her go through this. So please give if you can, that'll be in the show notes, as I said. Okay, and then happier news. I am so honored to announce that I will be the keynote speaker at the Louise May Alcott Society's birthday celebration for Lou Alcott on November 26th I'll be speaking about my work and doing a and a with a ton of genius Alcott scholars and Little Women fans. So please swing by. It will be on Zoom at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on November twenty-sixth, And the link to that will also be in the show notes. Okay, now on to our very special guest, D.L. Mayfield, who is you <laughs> looking at me like, whoa, just <laughs> that was a lot. DL is an author and journalist who writes about neurodivergence and healing from high control religion. They've written three books, including Unruly Saint, Dorothy Day's Radical Vision, and its Challenge for Our Times. They also write a newsletter, which I love, called Healing is My Special Interest. And they co-host This is the Bad Place, a recap podcast on The Good Place with their partner, Crispin Mayfield. Right now, they're working on a book about evangelical parenting philosophies. DL, welcome to the show. How are you? Good.
1: It's so good to be here. I love your podcast. But yeah, I'm just sitting with both of those announcements you just made. So yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. No, I warned
0: you that I had I had to read some news and I didn't really warn you what it would be. So I'm very sorry about this is real life. Um, This is real life. Yes. So yeah, yeah, it's real life. We love Claudia. And we're very grateful to the (laughs) Louisiana Alcott Society. We can hold both of those things at once. Hopefully. Yeah. So DL, I want to start off by asking you, before I ask you about your relationship to little women, I need to tell you about Michael Shore. Did you know that Michael Shore's mother is a tour guide at the Louisa May Alcott House Museum Orchard House?
1: It's so funny to me because I'm so into Mike Shore as a idea, not as the actual man. Yeah. And I just love this nugget of information because interesting people... Create interesting people, so i, I, I yes. feel like that's a, a nice thorough line there, you know,
0: yeah, I was lucky enough to meet him last year at the l a Times Book Festival. I wanted to say hi because he I know he's a big David Foster Wallace fan as well, so I sat and chatted with him and i I just mentioned this little women book project that I'm working on. he's like literally my mother works at orchard house and It turns out she may have been the one who gave me my tour. No. It is such a small world. I have to get out there now for sure. You do. Oh, my God. That is a weekend trip. Bring the whole family. Walk through the house. Cry a lot. Yes. Oh, yes. It's just fantastic. Yes. You got to go into the Dunkin' Donuts where there's a mural of the March sisters enjoying, well, the March siblings, I should say, enjoying a box of Joe. The A new bucket list (laughs) item has just been established for me. Okay. So completely recommend one. Go to the Concord Duncan too. Go to Louise Malcott's Orchard House and say hi to Mike Schur's mom. <laughs> if you don't know, if you, if this is all going over your heads, listeners at home, Michael Schur is the creator of the TV show, The Good Place. Also was a, a writer on The Office. He created Parks and Recreation, a ton of amazing work that we love. And DL has devoted their time to doing a fantastic podcast all about. The Good Place. Yeah, I
1: love Mike Sure, He's an anti-fascist legend. And his show, <laughs> this is a weird, a really weird niche thing, but his show, The Good Place, has been really influential for a specific audience, which I have come from, which is evangelical Christians being like, yep. oh, shit, is our way of viewing the world <laughs> unethical? And it's just an interesting little yeah. thing that I, I like to think yeah. about and talk about. So yeah.
0: Yeah, so I, today what we're here to do is both D.L. and I kind of come from high control evangelical Christian backgrounds. We're healing from them, learning, growing. And today we're here to talk, sort of talk about Beth and the death of Beth in that context. So I will kind of aim to be the evangelical translator for those of you who don't come from that background <laughs> as we get into it. But D.L., what's your relationship to little women?
1: Yes, so I grew up a uh, homeschooled pastor's kid, all over sort of the Western parts of the United States. So Northern California, Oregon, Wyoming, Alaska, very isolated. And my reading was really restricted, you know, to like Christian textbooks, but Little Women was allowed. And I think Little Women was allowed for a lot of Mm -hmm. conservative Christian kids. And Mm -hmm. I loved it. So I read it all the time. You know, I only had access to a small selection of books. So I read it over and over again. I loved it. And I really love the movies. I think I've only seen the Winona Ryder one and then Greta Gerwig's. And both of those movies are so important to me in totally different periods of my life, but so important (laughs) to me. So yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a lifelong thing. And which March sibling would you say you are? You know, I've been saying March sisters. It just occurred to me just now. I'm like, why am I doing that? Because (laughs) part of the premise of this show (laughs) is understanding that joe may not in fact be a march sister but which march sister would you say you are for the purposes of this podcast Lori is a march sister
1: okay well i so here's i'm gonna get into my story just a tiny bit because this is how i'm gonna answer the question so when i was a kid i was obsessed with beth march i wanted to be beth march i (laughs) fantasized about my life being just like Beth March's. And I do think Claire Danes' portrayal of Beth was harrowing to me. Give this actress every Oscar. This is the best performance of someone heroically dying I've ever seen in my life. And I was so... In my home, I was also allowed to read about martyrs and people like (laughs) that. Yeah. And Joan of Arc. And so I think Beth March, to me, was just another one of these saint idolized females to be like now in retrospect i am much more like joe you know everyone yes. sort of realizes <laughs> they have the Jewish elements to them and i'm a very cantankerous writer who has really strong opinions i get into trouble a lot so you know i eventually identify with joe more than beth but it is mm-hmm. really interesting to me how much i love beth and not
0: a lot of people seem to bring her up. There's some though there I've heard that yep. on this podcast. So they're out there. Yeah, I mean, it, I I find we get about half of the guests I, are solid. I am a Joe period yeah. end of discussion. And then we also have we but we you know, then I, th- I think the remaining half is kind of evenly shared by Beth's Meg's Amy's, I would say maybe more Amy's. And then whenever a man comes on this show, and I'm like, Lori is an option. They're like, I yeah, Lori. Oh, <laughs> so, really? I Interesting. I don't know what that says. I don't know what that says. But we just had James, my friend James Frankie Thomas on the show, and he related a story of how when he was a child, he and his friends would play little women, and he would always play Beth so that he could die dramatically yeah. and be the center of attention. <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly I, what I'm talking about. It sounds very much like what you're talking about. So we're here to talk about Beth today, DL, and specifically the way that I think Beth is interpreted, is read as held up by evangelical Christian communities. And maybe we can get into more broadly the way that little women exist in these evangelical circles, because I think mm-hmm. that's worth getting into as well. It This is a book that – we talked before, just before we got started about Plugged In Online, which is focus on the family's film review website, focus on the family being the evangelical Christian organization that runs in the United States and sort of advocates for socially conservative And I can tell you, they have given Little Women, Plugged in Online has given Little Women 2019 content caution, light, light, light for kids, teens, and adults. It's a green light all across the board. (laughs) Under sexual content, we do see that Joe removes her outer skirt in front of Lori, but she has several petticoats on underneath, so no worries. And Amy asks a man to help her unbutton her apron, and he looks at her longingly while doing so. They just want to... You know, let the parents know about that. <laughs> so, in every plugged-in online review, which DL also chastised you. You chastised me for still reading it. <laughs> you were like, "Go read. Does the dog die? What's wrong with you?"
1: <laughs> I did come in strong about that.
0: I'm sorry. Yeah, and understandably, I think so. Obviously, basically, what what if you're unfamiliar? What plugged-in online does is kind of it's a laundry list of everything potentially objectionable about the movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are people swearing are they doing drugs etc mm-hmm. are they having sex but filtered through this very evangelical lens so in in these reviews we have sexual content violent content drug and alcohol content but mm-hmm. we also have something called spiritual elements mm. and i'm looking at that right now and it says we can just use this as a starting point is what i'm thinking but Little Women isn't what you traditionally call, quote-unquote, Christian film. However, the Christian virtues of sacrifice, generosity, kindness, and forgiveness are illustrated throughout. When Beth falls deathly ill, Jo does everything she can to save her sister's life. Unfortunately, it soon becomes clear that the young woman isn't going to recover, and Jo is told that she can't stop God's will. Jo responds fiercely, God hasn't met my will yet. However, Beth informs Jo that she's had a long time to think about her death and isn't afraid of what's to come. And then in the conclusion of this review, it says, The loss of Beth, who is characterized as the quote-unquote best of us, is heartbreaking. As someone with three sisters of my own, I openly wept when she dies because I could feel the devastation of Joe, Meg, and Amy. Moviegoers who have experienced the pain of losing a sibling or even a child, since Marmy's grief is also felt heavily, should be aware of this poignant plot going in, if somehow they're not already o- aware of it. However, it should also be noted that Beth's death while distressing, brings her family together and inspires hope in all who knew her. So I think that's pretty much, (laughs) that's the crux of what we're talking about today, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Wow. Plugged in. Okay. 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 (laughs) Wow. Plugged okay, so out. <laughs> this okay, even as you were starting that review, I was just nodding my head. It's like, even though this isn't an explicitly Christian film, it still promotes the Christian values of blah 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 blah. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. there's my background in a sentence of how yeah. we as- how it was assessed what we could watch or read or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yes, can I say something mm-hmm. right now? Because you can I think the review of the movie is going to be different from the book. So I reread the book because mm-hmm. I wanted to before coming on this mm-hmm. podcast. I was very excited to. So it'd been a while. And i had read an abridged version with my oldest child, and they have read yeah. some other graphic novels that are all very interesting. So I'm like, I know this story. Yeah. But when I picked up Little Women to reread, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a Christian, Christian book. Yeah. This is <laughs> <Yes>. so Christian <laughs> to the point where... It was basically all about pilgrim's progress. And that yes, is something sure I was had yeah. really forgotten about. That did not live <laughs> on in my mind. And yet Beth's story really parallels the pilgrim's progress analogy. And so to me, yes. I'm like Beth's death and being this good pilgrim who suffered in silence until she died mm-hmm. and was taken up to the celestial city. Yes. That there's a direct parallel. To that in the book Pilgrim's Progress. This is also fascinating. Yeah. Of course, the books I mean the movies don't touch that at all. No. But
0: I just wondered what your
1: thoughts were on the Pilgrim's <laughs> Progress of it all. I
0: have we talked about this also before recording. My only memory of Pilgrim's Progress is that when I was a very young child, I was enrolled in a roller hockey vacation bible school. <laughs> this was Excellent. Yes. Maybe you had some similar circumstances and every morning at roller hockey. Vacation Bible school, the camp counselors would act out part of Christian's Pilgrim's Progress on a stage for us. So that is my very limited understanding. I can tell you also, I'm currently writing a Little Women, a contemporary interpretation of Little Women. And at one point, no longer, but at one point, the basic premise was that Joe and Lori were both going to be fans of an anime series based on Pilgrim's Progress. And they were going to meet, they were going to be trans kids who meet online and bond over their love of this nerdy comic, but I <laughs> so I did do some very light research on that, found kind of I was like, how can I make this gay enough so that it would engage Joe? Who is she gonna be writing fan fiction about? I <laughs> but that's that's my very limited knowledge of it. So I understand Pilgrim's Progress to be a parable about the valor of dying for Christ. Is that more or less... I mean, so, sort of. Enlighten. Now, yeah. here's
1: the deal. I am not an expert and I'm just yeah. somebody who was interested in it. And I also grew up reading Pilgrim's Progress. So that was another book that was in my house. My mom was obsessed with it. And I think a light Googling showed me that <laughs> Bronson Alcott was obsessed with Pilgrim's Progress and that yeah. it was his favorite book. And so I'm like, okay. So his kid is like, I will (laughs) use this book my dad was obsessed with, right? Mm -hmm. Put it into this book. And even just, it is the most intense morality play about how Mm -hmm. to stay on the straight and narrow path in order to achieve salvation. And you must be alert at all times. You must leave behind your wife and your children. You should not listen to any of your friends. And you're always in constant danger of not making it to the city. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> and so the main character is Christian, and he has these huge burdens that he d- discovered he was carrying because he read in this book, which is the Bible, but of course, it's not named just like it is in yeah. Little Women. And so it starts with him reading this book and being like, oh, shit, I'm a little yep. piece of shit who has all these <laughs> burdens on my back. And now what do I do? No. But he's, li- he's living in the city of destruction. His wife and kids are like, no, 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 it's fine. Just keep going. He's like, no, I have to get these burdens off. All this stuff happens. Mm -hmm. He looks at the cross and that's when his burdens fall off, but he's still not safe. He still has to enter through the narrow gate. He has to go on this, you know, a hero's journey. He, (laughs) I don't know how much you want me to go into it, but there's little things in the book, you know, the whole chapter called vanity fair boy, do I? Yeah, we, (laughs) cause you've talked about how how problematic that, you know, chapter is as far as (laughs) feminism, but in pilgrim's progress, vanity fair is this city that Christian, and he's he's now in a pilgrimage with this other guy, Faithful, they get <laughs> imprisoned in the city because they dress so different and they're just so Christian, I guess, that they get imprisoned. And then Faithful ends up standing up in front of the judge and explains why he's on his way to Celestial City and it only follows God. And then they kill Faithful like a million different ways, right? In Vanity <laughs> Fair. And so I was such an intense little homeschooled kid that... I would just cry and weep over that part in the story. It's the big martyr story yeah. this, in the middle of Pilgrim's Progress is when Faithful is martyred. And I remember when I was 15 or something, I was in a grocery store and I saw that there was a magazine named Vanity Fair. And I was like, <laughs> there's the fashion magazine named for the place where Faithful was know. martyred. <laughs> I had a like autistic meltdown at the grocery store because I had no idea. But that's got to be what it's named after, right?
0: Well, it is. Yeah. And I remember having a similar reaction. Like, this just goes to show the sinfulness of the world exactly. that we're naming a magazine Vanity Fair. Exactly. <laughs> that <is> so- <laughs> mm-hmm. That's exactly what I thought.
1: <laughs> and it's just very precious for me to think about it now. Oh, sweet. You know, child, I had very limited access to books. Pilgrim's Progress was a huge deal in my life. Mm-hmm. But again, to see that just match up to Beth's story, I think is just really telling. And the entire Pilgrim's Progress, I don't think as a book, it has, I mean, obviously it has huge cultural significance, but the way it's been used by specific groups of Christians mm-hmm. throughout history, I think is quite concerning. And ultimately it's just, yeah people who are obsessed with that book i'm just saying let's keep our eye on them you know what i mean let's just keep let's our that- eye on people where that's their favorite <laughs> book
0: <laughs> I yeah it's fun you say that and there are people who come into this show like what is pilgrim's progress what is this it is not it's certainly not in the culture to anywhere near the extent that i think it once was i think it, it remains very niche i think and and I think it does – the context you were saying, it's like vacation Bible school fodder. It's so simplistic. It's this very individualistic, singular mm-hmm, vision of mm-hmm. what it means to be good in the world, which apparently also means giving up your wife and your daughters. They can get shunted aside. So it's so ironic that this is the way Little Women begins.
1: I mean, to me, it is obviously Lou Alcott making sense of what it's mm-hmm. like to grow up with a parent who loves ideals and God more than their family. right? And that's a really hard thing to grapple with when you're a kid. And it's a hard thing to grapple with when you're a young adult. And yet, you know, stories like Pilgrim's Progress do make that normalized. And like, this is your highest aim is to always keep your sights set on heaven and making sure you get into heaven. And Mm -hmm. the thing that troubles me about Pilgrim's Progress, because I kind of skim read it a little bit, is just this idea that so few people will make it into heaven, and only yeah. after enormous amounts of pain and suffering that you endure without complaining without yeah. fighting against that you just take it, you take it, and then mm-hmm. if you veer off slightly, you get severely punished, and then you also take that punishment with a glad heart, you know to work yeah. better to work harder and it's pretty depressing stuff on multiple levels, I think, when you look yeah. at it like
0: that. It is. And it comes across in the way that, you know, even in the way that this review was speaking about Beth's death was like, it's inspiring, you know, mm-hmm. it it inspires prayer It inspires them to be better people. We look at, I have Alcott's journals here and she says... <sighs> What does she say? Dear little saint. This is Alcott talking about the real life Elizabeth Alcott as she's ill and dying. Dear little saint, I shall be better all my life for these sad hours with you. So that's it's a very much already as it's happening, Alcott is making sense of it by folding Beth's death into how is this going to affect my morality, my understanding of God, my own moral goodness that's the filter that she's putting on it, which is benediction for a dying girl.
1: (laughs) I mean, but it's so interesting because Joe in the books ends up living a completely different life than Beth. And yet Beth is to be idolized. So I'm like, that's another interesting tension, right? That we're all supposed to, all of us want to be Joe deep down, right? (laughs) Part of us wants to be as free and liberated as Joe. And yet we're also being explicitly taught If you want to be good and moral, you be like Beth. If you want to be free to who you are, you're Joe. If you want to be good and moral, you're Beth. And I'm like, those kinds of mixed messages just really set me up for a lot of heartache, if I'm being perfectly honest, just wanting to be Beth more than anything, because she was the explicitly saint-like character, you know? And I don't know. I just think, and the book is for young women, you know, growing up in times where there is such so many complicating factors to who we can be and how we can express ourselves and the pressures put on us. And I have to be honest and say, when I was reading rereading Little Women, I just found there to be so much pressure on these four girls to be very good and godly according
0: to their parents' very intense yes. standards. Yeah. Oh, a 100%. And it's... <laughs> Alcott described this book once as moral pap for the young. (laughs) She, (laughs) okay,
1: so I want to—I just really want to know your thoughts on that. What made her turn this into a? The bones of it are, yeah, a morality play almost, but that's not the full extent of it. Obviously, I don't think it would be so resonant, and people wouldn't love it so much if that's all it was.
0: Exactly. I mean, she didn't want to write it. Her publisher asked her to write a girl's book. And she said, I'd never liked girls or knew many. I don't enjoy this kind of thing. And was eventually persuaded to write it, essentially to secure a publishing contract for her father. So these are the circumstances we're going into it with. She's using... Her family's autobiography as kind of the baseline for this. Obviously, there are departures, particularly as the girls kind of move on and grow older. But what makes this book so fascinating to me is that you can see the radical impulse fighting with the conservative one. Yes. Constantly, particularly with Joe. And in fact, even after the Valley of the Shadow, which is the chapter where Beth mm-hmm. dies. Two chapters later, we're back with Jo as she's grieving, and she moves through a period where she's, okay, I'm resolved. I'm going to be exactly like Beth, and I'm going to live like Beth. That doesn't make her happy. So she goes Mm -hmm. over to Meg's house, and Meg is like, why don't you consider becoming a wife and mother like me? And Jo's like, "Mm, let me think about it. And then she goes back home reads a letter from Amy, starts thinking about Laurie and wonders if she should have taken Laurie back. And she's, So it's like, should I be Beth? Should I be Meg? Should I be Amy? <laughs> she kind of goes through these steps. So as much as Alcott could have kind of, what Beth asks Joe to do as she is dying is look after mother and father. I know you want to go out and write and explore the world and write grand books, but because I'm dying, It's going to be on you to stay home and look after mother and father. And now that will be its own sweet reward. You just have to give up your ambitions, Joe. And and then Joe tries to do that, and it doesn't make her happy. (laughs) So we get that sermon coming from Beth, from the saintly Beth in this moment. But then the book goes on from that point, and Joe makes her own path, right? It doesn't include leaving her partner behind and traveling the world. It's sort of a middle point. And I think what drives people crazy about this book <laughs> is that the book, it manages to, as much as the radical impulse and the, you know, traditionalist one are at war with each other, they kind of end the book holding hands in a weird way.
1: <laughs> I think that's so true. But I'll just say, as a kid growing up in an evangelical pastor's household, mm-hmm. I did not get any of the radical stuff. And I really latched on to this overt spirituality ideal. I loved Professor Bear. I was like, this man, you know, (laughs) this man has principles. This is very attractive to me. I know. I'm just saying it's not great. (laughs) But, you know, as an adult, right, I'm like, oh, the story of how Joe transcends all of these rules and cages and everything—even mm-hmm. I think Pilgrim's Progress, right? That narrative is a cage yeah. in of itself. Yeah. Oh, completely. She pays so much lip service to it, and then doesn't actually <laughs> live it out. <laughs> and so I think that's really beautiful. But it was—I I, yeah. think—as an undiagnosed autistic child obsessed with religion, you know, those mm-hmm. nuances did not get to my heart. And instead, yeah, the reason I truly thought Beth was a martyr was because my kid brain made up this direct correlation to Beth helping the poor getting scarlet fever, right? And then yeah. she was so yeah. weakened by the fever, right? Then just a few years later. And I don't think the book makes such explicit connections, but as a kid, that's mm-hmm. I was just filling in those gaps and I was like, oh, Beth dying young is a direct result of her helping the yeah. poor, of serving God, of doing exactly what yeah. she was supposed to do. And so now... She's suffering, yes, but she ultimately has the best story because she
0: gets to go to yeah. heaven, which is yeah. really sad to be a kid and think that's cool. <laughs> no, I, I think you're completely right. So as far as the links breaking down, Beth does. She goes and helps the Hummels when they have Scarlet Fever. Mom's away. Marmee is going and, and dealing with Dad being ill in Washington. And no one, everyone else is like, I'm too tired to go to the Hummels. Beth goes alone, gets Scarlet Fever, gets deathly ill, but also is safe. She gets better. She heals. And it's hard to understand what Alcott's motives were there. I think having Beth recover and get well, only to eventually deal with her death in a more serious way in the second volume, which was like, there was never an intended second volume. That was never kind of in the cards. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I think it might have been a wish fulfillment thing. Beth might have this brush with death because she was so good and noble and went and helped the Hummels. But ultimately, she rallies and she's okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's also worth noting that this is a direct mirror of Alcott's own experience. Some of her most ardent writing about wanting to be a man comes around the time of the onset of the Civil War. She really wants to enlist and be a shoulder. She says, I long to free my mind at a saucy Southerner or two. She really wants to go down and <laughs> fight the Confederates. She's a fervid abolitionist. She can't enlist. So essentially the what she winds up doing is enlisting as a nurse and going to a war hospital in Washington. And after just a couple of weeks there, she becomes extremely ill with typhoid fever. Hmm. The doctors are like, you know what we need? Mercury. And <laughs> give her mercury poisoning to get her over that, which disables her for the rest of her life. So wow. she is in a, in one way writing about Beth's, the real-life Elizabeth Alcott illness, recovery, eventual death, but she's also writing about her own. She Mm. did something noble. She made a sacrifice. She really paid for it, right? Mm. This is not, it's not abstract to her. She knows what this feels like. And she's not gassing herself up in the journals and saying, I'm so good for what I did in the Civil War. I think she, she could not sit idly by during the war and do nothing. Like she was very passionate. And in fact, just a couple months after she recovered from her illness, she wanted to go to I believe it was South Carolina and teach at a school for freedmen. And her family was like, are you out of your mind? You almost died <laughs> two months ago. You can't do that. So I-, I think some of that martyr impulse may literally just be coming from Lou Walcott.
1: Wow. yeah. Okay, this is blowing my brain a little bit. Yeah. And I I'm loving this background because mm-hmm. when I reread the book, it is kind of I don't want to say creepy, but it is weird <laughs> how Beth has such a foreshortened view of life, right? Doesn't yeah, she's like, I never thought I would grow up. I never thought I'd get married, I never thought. Yeah. And in the book it's just like, yeah, because she's Beth. And I'm like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a symptom of CPTSD. That happens <laughs> to traumatized kids who don't get their needs met. Yeah. They're just like, there's nothing to live for. I won't have a future. Mm-hmm. I can't envision myself in this society. What do I have? So I'm just like, you could view it a few different ways, but you know, as a kid and all of us are just like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's just Beth. And I'm like, Oh, that's a kid that doesn't see a future for themselves. Yeah. Let's just pay attention to kids who maybe don't have castles in the sky. That should be so much of a bigger deal than it Mm -hmm. is in the book. And I was similar to that as a child as well, just had a really hard time seeing the future. And part of that was because I had a parent who was obsessed with God, who was obsessed with religion. And Bronson Alcott was sort of similar. And my parent in particular, you know, was into conspiracy theories, the end times, all of that. I don't think Bronson was, but even if he started communes, if he started these (laughs) things to to help save society and make it better. And if they fail, right, it's apocalyptic, right? The world's ending and your parents' dreams have died and how do you view the future? So I'm like, maybe I'm reading all that into this book, but I just see some things with especially Beth, who I'm just like, you guys should be more worried that she can't envision yeah. a future for herself.
0: And I think the problem, what you just pointed out with Bronson and what we just talked about with Lou Alcott and certainly what we're talking about with Beth is a certain kind of self sacrificial impulse. Yeah. The joy of martyrdom. If I have to go out, at least it's this way, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that gets us into really thorny territory about when you do the principled thing, and it's also a really dangerous thing, and even a damaging thing. The way that Bronson Alcott he admitted black children to his school, mm-hmm. and kept doing that even as rich white Boston families started pulling their kids in outrage, and he wasn't going to be able to keep the school open and the family foundered into poverty. He was like, I'm simply, I'm going to have an integrated school, and that's the way it is, right? (laughs) And, you know, with the Fruitlands Commune, that was, you know, he had strong beliefs about, we're not going to use animal labor, we're not going to use, we're not going to eat animals, we're definitely not going to wear cotton, right? (laughs) It was all very principled, but taken to such an extreme length that Abba Alcott, the mother, was like making them meals out of potatoes and apples <laughs> for dinner every night and cold water. So I think what's missing maybe from little women is any ethic of self care or preserving oneself to be able to get back up and fight another day. When you're having a hard time, you just have to ask God to get you back up. Again, I'm talking, this is Louisa May Alcott's journal. This is an entry from October of 1858, which is a few months after Elizabeth Alcott passed away. She considered suicide and wrote, My fit of despair was soon over, for it seemed so cowardly to run away before the battle was over, I couldn't do it. So I said firmly, there is work for me, and I'll have it, and went home resolved to take fate by the throat and shake a living out of her. Sunday, Mr. Parker preached a sermon on laborious young women. Just what I needed. (laughs) She is suicidal and is like, you know what? I have to do bootstraps. <laughs> it's just, and I think that was what was modeled for Alcott. Pray about it, get back up, sweetie.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I could just say a lot of spiritual and religious literature that is aimed at women seems to be predicated yeah. upon a lot of passive suicidality with the way the world is, yeah. and you're suffering yeah. in it, and encouraging you to take that grief and that sadness and work harder for mm-hmm. this paradise that you will experience after you die. <laughs> I was asked to write about a saint mm-hmm. for a book. And again, I'm an evangelical. Mm-hmm. So we did not grow up exactly loving the saints. Mm-hmm. My mom allowed a little bit of it because she did love the martyrs. But mm-hmm. I was sort of like, okay, so they gave me like the patron saint of mental illness, St. Dimphna. Right. I read her story and I'm just like, I'm sorry. I can't write anything. What? Yep. (laughs) This story has horrified me to my core. And I don't (laughs) know what else to say except the world is so cruel to women. Right. What else am I supposed to say? And they were like, No, you're supposed to tell people they can feel better if they pray to her. I'm not trying to knock anybody's personal belief, but it was just the publishing machine of it all. I did end up writing something that I I felt very honest about and and they Mm -hmm. uh, are publishing it, but I'm just like, wow, this really is a way of taking someone's... I don't actually know how to be alive in a world that treats people the way it does. And then that energy is turned into, if you can just work harder... Maybe you could make this world better, but for sure you'll get into heaven where every tear will be wiped from your eyes. You know, I just yeah. heard that theology so much growing up,
0: yeah, I'm thinking specifically about an instance where I was in high school and I was having coffee with my Bible study leader. I had spent just for several years i I came from a very unstable and dangerous home life, and I was talking to my This was an adult. This was my Bible study leader. I was talking about how scared I felt at home and how hard it was and how I didn't want to go home sometimes. And she held my hands and said, when you die and go to heaven, God is going to look you in the eye and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that happened. (laughs) So listen, when you die, it'll all have been worth it. Like putting coins in the suffering bank. And (laughs) DL, have you ever heard of the concept of the cosmic scorekeeper? I'm not sure. Maybe. Okay. So this is, I need to get the, this is from a book for people with obsessive compulsive personality disorder by Dr. Alan Ballinger and Jeanette DeWise. It's called Too Perfect When Being in Control Gets Out of Control. Like I said, Mm. it's for people with obsessive compulsive personality disorder. And in this book, they talk about how Across faith groups, their patients exhibit a belief in a kind of quote unquote cosmic scorekeeper. Someone is watching everything that they do and keeping mm-hmm. score. Mm-hmm. Not unlike in the good place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they prevent a, a very facile we're chalking up the points for everything you do that's good and everything you do that's bad. And so and people with OCPD will take on suffering and prolong their own suffering because they believe it's putting up the cosmic scorekeeper is putting up those positive points. And that obviously that becomes a problem in and of itself, because you're prolonging your own suffering. But it also creates a problem when something bad happens to you, there is a belief that you must have caused it, you must have done something Mm -hmm. to deserve Mm -hmm. it. And then Mm -hmm. you have to look back through your own behavior and see, okay, where did I do wrong? And when you find the thing you did wrong, that triggered the bad thing that happened to you, (laughs) then you can kind of circle that and be like, Got it, cosmic no. scorekeeper. <laughs> now I know where I went wrong to give yourself a sense of control. And it, part of my own treatment for OCPD has been just understanding that doesn't exist, right? And that was, that's hard because that's very much the faith-based tradition that I was brought up in was he's up there watching you all the time. <laughs> you know, he's inside your head. He knows what you're thinking. <laughs> and I'm thinking also about how specifically this falls very hard on the shoulders of girl children. Right. And it fell on Lou Alcott. It's falling here on Beth. And it's not a coincidence that we hear relatively little about Laurie's struggle with faith. I don't think.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I-, I just think, I was glad you kind of said all that because if people mm-hmm. don't grow up evangelical and or just Christian to the point where, yes, you do believe that God can read your thoughts and is judging them. And yeah. I, I don't think people understand what an invasion of privacy that is as for mm-hmm. a child to be taught that your thoughts yeah. are not your own and are always being policed. It's such a yeah. control tactic and it's such. Yeah. And it's one that needs to be called out more, right? I experienced it. It was unpleasant. I I see elements of that in Little Women. And Pilgrim's Progress really is a story that illustrates the second thing you were talking about, which is Mm -hmm. if something bad happens to you. You probably deserve this, right? But then, of course, they also do this thing where if if something bad happens to you, maybe God wanted to use your life as an example. So they do both and they do that whole thing. But I wanted to read just this tiny snippet from Pilgrim's Progress, if that's okay, that just illustrates this sort of punishment and we punish because we love. So this is such Mm -hmm. a hallmark to specifically Christianity that is Calvinistic, which Pilgrim's Progress is probably the most famous book that illustrates what Calvinism is at its core. But anyways, this near the end of the book, Christian, since Faithful got martyred, he's now with somebody named Hopeful. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get there. They end up talking to this guy named Flatterer. (laughs) And because of that, they were dawdling or something. So then one of the Shining Ones, one of the angels is walking towards them. This is what the narrator says. I saw my dream that he, the Shining One, commanded them to lie down, Christian and hopeful, Mm -hmm. which they did. And he whipped them sore to teach them the good way wherein they should walk. And as he whipped them, he said, as many as I love, I rebuke and and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent this done, he bid them go on their way and take good heed to the other directions of the shepherds. So they thanked him for all his kindness and went softly along the right way, singing. And then he writes out this song, which is basically them being like, thank you so much for whipping us. That was exactly what we needed. So that's, you know... And then the next thing happens is they do finally get to Celestial City, but they needed that one last whipping just for talking to some guy named Flatterer. I I, I just
0: <laughs> Y'all, this is, is so weird. <laughs> in fairness, I probably deserve to have been whipped after talking to some flatterers myself. I'm not gonna stand here and say
1: <laughs> no, like, so many ways to read this allegory. <laughs> But yeah, to it's- me, that is sort of, I want to think good things about historic books like Pilgrim's Progress. And then I read that and I just see throughout history how the sort of marrying of theology with authoritarianism yeah. and the belief that yeah. a strong leader must hurt you in order to protect you and keep you safe and keep you on the right path. Because, you know, there could be people, other people coming in all the time to mm-hmm. take you off that I'm like oh, this
0: is a really bad way to go through the world, if that's sort of your mindset. So I think it's also worth noting, though, I think there's an extent to which the narrative of Little Women, certainly not the narrative of Pilgrim's Progress, (laughs) but the narrative of Little Women has been co-opted and misread into kind of authoritarian Christianity. That wasn't – you open this episode and you're like, when I reread it, I was like, oh, this book is Christian, capital C. But it was actually banned upon release by the Christian Union from Sunday School Libraries. Oh, that's very Christian. That's very yeah. Christian. <laughs> it was not Christian enough. It was, And the objections yeah. were specifically to the Christmas play in the second chapter, where there's stabbings, poisons, suicides, witchcraft, Joe dressing up as a man and playing a love interest to women. Mm-hmm. The witchcraft did it. In fact, the Plugged In Online review also calls out the witchcraft. <laughs> yes. It stood out to me as a child, let me yeah. tell you. And her editor was like, so the Christian Union's giving us a hard time about this. Do you want to replace chapter two? Alcott was like, fuck no. (laughs) Even her editor was like, I think it's just about the best part of the book. Oh, why must people be so very good? So, you know, there's an extent to which even at the time this book was pandering and not, (laughs) and even then it was not quite enough. And and I, I have Alcott's letters and journals open here. This is a post Little Women entry, but later in her life alcott kind of went through a spiritual seeker <laughs> very typical white person late in life i'm very i'm going to go see this hindu person talk about their faith i the simple buddha religion is very attractive to me and i mm-hmm. believe in it this is a quote that i'm reading from her letters <laughs> But here she writes, and this is on page 278 of her letters, so we're kind of getting into probably 40s, 50s. She writes, God is enough for me, and all the prophets are only stepping stones to him. Christ is a great reformer to me, not God. Interesting. Mm. (laughs) Not the party line. I'm also going to read, hold on, this is another, she really idolized Emerson, and she wrote, here she writes, she's writing to a friend, have you read Emerson, this is on 277 of her letters, selected letters of Louise May Alcott. She writes, have you read Emerson, he is called a pantheist or believer in nature instead of God. He was truly Christian and saw God in in nature, finding strength and comfort in the sane, sweet influences of the great mother as well as the father of all. I too believe this, and when tired, sad, or tempted, find my best comfort in the woods, the sky, the healing solitude that lets my poor, weary soul find the rest, the fresh hope, or the patience which only God can give us. So just one more thing. On the same page, she writes, women need a religion of their own, for they are called upon to lead a quiet, self-sacrificing life with peculiar Mm. trials, needs, and joys. And it seems to me that a very simple one is fitted to us whose hearts are usually more alive than heads, and whose hands are tied in many ways. Mm. So it seems worth pointing out to me, and this is after Little Women, this is well after Little Women, but the religion of Little Women is not necessarily the end point of religion for Alcott. I think she mo- if this was ever truly what she believed, and I don't think it is, there are parts in Little Women where she's like, And if you're falling asleep during this little sermon, she'll kind of undercut her own, you know, sort of appeals to Christianity. Mm -hmm. I think she was able to, she was very intelligent. She was able to look at it, to move beyond it, to in many ways embrace transcendentalism was never standard Christianity. But I think toward the end of her life, Alcott had moved even beyond that. was thinking much more broadly
1: and i think you can see that in the book but Mm -hmm. i see just the fingerprints of a dad who really Mm -hmm. had some certainty at least about here's how you're a moral person here's how you're a good person so i think that you can see lou alcott definitely has some more interesting things to Mm -hmm. say in the book but i just see the fingerprints of an adult figure yeah who's very important to her, who was like, this is how you're a good person. And this is how life should be. And, and I guess there's just a part of my childhood self that feels sad for that, especially how the book treats Beth. And, you know, just this idea that somebody who is meek and quiet and suffers quietly is to be so elevated. I'm just like, no, I love Joe suffering loudly. That's what I love. And that to Mm -hmm. me is what makes a very rich life. I'm not discounting Beth but no. there's still some of that elevation of her to saintlyhood that I'm just like, Oh, I wish I had not yeah. caught on to that as a child myself and, and thought that was the best way to be a person is to die young, serving the Lord.
0: <laughs> so mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think did you ever also have that thing where you'd be like twelve and your period would be would be late and you're like, Am I the next Virgin Mary? <laughs> or is that just me? <laughs> is I, <laughs> yes, I think happened to a
1: lot of people i that did not cross <laughs> my mind so i was very much like beth you know i was like i'm never gonna get married i'm never gonna have a normal life because i don't fit in again that's probably do more to me being autistic than it was mm-hmm. anything else yeah and we don't even have time to talk about beth in that regards because she was so shy and <sighs> had seemed to have so yeah. much trouble with people
0: which i did as well yeah, we have talked a lot about Beth is neurodivergent, Joe is neurodivergent. I think maybe Beth and Joe are the neurodivergent half of the family and <laughs>
1: And (laughs) the the, dad. And Mr. March. Let's say Mr. Mr. March.
0: I want to get back to what you were saying about childhood surveillance and this thing that God would be in your thoughts and hearing you. And Mm -hmm. so this is, again, Mm -hmm. the journals of Louisa May Alcott. These are childhood journal entries. Okay, this is 1845. She's a very young girl. And Abba Alcott writes... In Lou's journal, my dearest Louie, I often peep into your diary, hoping to see some record of more happy days, hope Mm -hmm. and keep busy with your daughter. And in all perplexity or trouble, come freely to your mother. She's writing this in Lou's journal. So she's reading what her daughter is writing. She's saying, I'm monitoring it to make sure that you're happy, and that you can come talk to me. And it's so it's, I would have liked the idea of Alcott having a more private space to write. But On the very next page, again, these are the childhood journals, she's writing, again, this is a child, Lou Alcott, and the parents can read all this. They often read their children's diaries. Lou Alcott writes, what are the most valuable kinds of self-denial? Appetite, temper. How is self-denial of temper known? If I control my temper, I am respectful and gentle, and everyone sees this. What is the result of this self-denial? Everyone loves me, and I am happy. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) baby i why use self-denial for the good of myself and others
1: (laughs) it's it's just so interesting because i was so that kid and i am raising kids who are so not like that and it is just interesting to see this is the result of some childhood religious indoctrination (laughs) and some parental pressure and possible enmeshment right how you you view about morals religion how to be a person is a direct result on me and that is just such an amount of pressure to put on a child and so when i reread little women i'm like oh this is her in part trying to please her father and his intense idealism and his intense morals and the books he loved and then she just goes off to the races which i think makes (laughs) it such a a compelling book
0: and yet an unsatisfying one because in the end what does joe do but Marry her father in so many ways. Marry
1: her father. I mean, what I read about his florals and how she's like, you're right. And it could just be it. Maybe it's not just her father, but he's basically the new Beth. I guess we could also yeah. say, right, here's the mm-hmm. arbitrator of what's good and what's holy yeah. and will tell me if my thoughts are good. will read my diary yeah. and tell me yeah. if it's appropriate or not. But when you're mm-hmm. used to that level of moral scrutiny, you need it. Right. The rest of your life yeah. t- to feel that you're a good person or not. Until you can somehow break free and be like, actually, I get to decide if I'm living in my values or not somebody else. But I felt so sad at the Mr. Bear stuff this go around. I'm like, oh, no, you were giving all that responsibility to him.
0: Yeah, I was very lucky to have (sighs) a good guest on that episode, or it would have just been me screaming into the microphone about how much I hate Mr. Bear. The one where he says that Joe's fiction is bad trash, and she it's and it's immoral. I think, ultimately, Joe nods and says, "Yes, you're, you're totally right. I'm going to throw my writing into the fire and not write anymore." And it goes back to what this ten year old child was writing in her journal: "What is the result of self denial? Everyone loves me, and I am happy." It was mm-hmm. Scrubbing away this identity and mm-hmm. aiming for total mu- moral purity. Mm-hmm. In addition to growing up in a, you know, obviously an evangelical. Household. My mother had probably had borderline personality disorder. That was sort of a conversation in the family. There were discussions about getting her therapy, and she simply insisted that she didn't have it. And it, <laughs> so I, I, I won't get into that too much. But it also, that added another layer to this constant surveillance and mm-hmm. need to be obedient because... Mm-hmm when someone has a personality disorder, they can split on you, and suddenly you are all bad, and everything you do is bad. It was just impossible for me to understand when I was being good or when I was being bad. Like something that might Mm -hmm, get me praised mm -hmm. one day would get me just, Mm. you know, punished the next day, right? And (laughs) so, and, and I think ultimately what the function of God is in these evangelical families, and you can certainly speak to this as you're writing a book on evangelical parenting, is that the parents are sort of allowed to decide what goes and doesn't. They're allowed to interpret scripture however they'd like, and they sort of become God in the home. Yes. When we're talking about God living in your head, the influence of your parents snooping in your journal and paying attention to what you do is so much more real and imminent. I think it's very easy to blend the two, and I think create, you know, create a fear of your parents. Do you want to talk about your evangelical parenting book project? Because I'm very interested in that well, while we're in this corner. Yeah. yeah,
1: I'm just in the I'm just in the thick of it. But yeah, one of the things I wanted to write about was just these evangelical parenting books are authoritarian in nature, right? And so yeah. they, all of them were written After the 1960s, right? So after all of these movements were being made, all this social progress was being made for civil rights and feminism. And so white conservative men were like, we are losing, we are losing power. And actually, white kids are growing up and are protesting Vietnam in the streets. It's so embarrassing. And so they're like, well, what do we got to do? We got to parent our kids and we have to discipline them when they're young so that they will never stray from their parents' politics, religion, and values. Okay. So it was very upfront. So people like Dr. James Dobson, who has a doctor of psychology and knew exactly what he was doing. He taught parents how to use corporal punishment when a child was young. So two or three Mm -hmm. was perfect, right? And Mm -hmm. you punish them every single time they defy you. So I don't know if you've been around a two or three year old, but that's just a normal developmental process for them to figure out how to be a human. But these evangelical parenting books said if you want your kid to go to heaven. And to stay a Republican and to carry on your values, you have to hit them every time that happens, right? And you have to establish hierarchy and authority in the home. And if you do that, these kids will obey the police. I mean, they say this over and over again, the kids will obey the police, they'll obey godly (laughs) leaders, and they'll always obey you. And so there's never a time in these evangelical households where the kid can individuate, can differentiate. And so I'm writing this book for people who are in their 30s and 40s who their parents are still so yes. disappointed by any deviance, right? Yeah. Any of um, this individuality. And so and then plus it's also for people who are intrigued by white evangelicalism and its relation to this extreme political movement, what I would now mm-hmm. call Christian fascism, right? With yeah, this direct correlation to authoritarianism. And it's really Been from all sides, this pressure to conform, to obey authority and to just instantly obey authority. And if you look at historical fascism, there's lots of writings that say the family is the best place to create little fascists, right? If you can get a kid to obey authority in the home immediately because they fear punishment, that transfers over into other areas of society. And so I'm like, Oh this sounds very similar to these parenting books I was raised off of, and actually millions of people were raised off of in America. I think it was also in Canada. And it wasn't just evangelicals, Mm -hmm. Catholics, mainline people, lots of folks were sort of drawn to this. But it's to me, it's an unexplored area of what authoritarian parenting does long term, both politically Mm -hmm. and personally, to those of us who experienced it.
0: I think it's important to understand. I I think there there are elements of Maybe not, obviously, the very contextual authoritarian parenting you're describing, but Bronson Alcott wanted to micromanage his children's lives, Mm -hmm. right? They had to be able to read the diaries. He kept detailed notes on every time... You know, what did his children eat every day? How are they developing? What are they saying words Yeah. And <laughs> it's so funny. He kept the most detailed book was for Anna, the firstborn. And then the book for Lou, the secondborn, was like a little less. De- and then I think by kid number three, he'd given up on that project. But so relatable. He wanted to hack parenting and be like, this is the way it's going to be done. Mm. I don't know that he was a strict disciplinarian. I don't get the sense that there was much. He, he was against, in fact, he was against hitting children.
1: Which is awesome. Yeah, and that's in yeah. Little Women. And I was like, yeah. yay, Little Women. This is yeah. great.
0: Yeah. And and especially when you get into Meg learning how to parent, it's not the, this authoritarian parent style, right? I think this is where Alcott is kind of making some of her own thoughts know known about what she believes. I don't think that Little Women is a fascist book. I don't think that it's an authoritarian book. We what we know about Alcott's politics, she was for the abolition of slavery. She was for suffrage, even if sometimes she was like, These dumb bitches won't get up for making cookies to vote, which is very funny. <laughs> it's these being a misogynist while advocating for women's suffrage, it's you have two wolves inside of you. But what I do think is that little women can be and has been appropriated and co-opted by Christian authoritarians. Mm-hmm, We've mm-hmm. talked before on the podcast about how Pure Flix, or now known as FKA, formerly known as Pure Flix Entertainment, now Pinnacle Peak Pictures. This is a Christian film distribution company. They've made movies like the God's Not Dead series. Oh. They did Unplanned, that anti-abortion movie. And in 2018, the year before unplanned, they distributed a, an adaptation of Little Women. So we can, you and I can sit here and be like a bunch of homos talking about Little Women and how queer it is and radical and Pure Flex Entertainment can simultaneously put out a Little Women movie. It, <laughs> it's wild.
1: I think it is wild. And I'm actually so glad you just said that. I want to take a moment right now to be like, Mm -hmm. I was a deeply closeted, non-binary kid, autistic, sheltered. I latched Mm -hmm. onto books like Little Women. Never in my wildest dreams did I think, first of all, I get to listen to a podcast about (laughs) all of these issues and subjects with this book, but then get to be on it. Peyton, we've made it. We got out of some of these places, right? And we we are- We're experiencing who we are as actual realized individuals, knowing that there was a lot of cages and morals and ethics and religious oversight put over us. And Mm -hmm. I'm just so glad to be here. I just want to take a moment to be like, this is awesome. And this is really cool. And that's the power of this book. And I think the power of Lou Alcott being Mm -hmm. such a rich and complex person. Yes. I don't, I mean, I haven't done much study, but that is apparent to me from listening to this podcast. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think you and I, we're not living the lives that our parents envisioned for us. I do, I have a very good relationship with my father. He, he listens to the podcast. Shout out, dad. Hi. hi. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we're certainly, I'm no longer a Christian. I would, I'm an atheist. That was certainly not in the cards when we were growing up going to church three times a week. And it's nice to think that. I am out of that world, Mm. and that you're out of that world, and that we're defining and creating lives for ourselves, that you're parenting your children the way that you want to parent them. Mm -hmm. That's really worth celebrating. And I think also, even in both Joe Marsh and Lou Alcott, they're not living the lives that their mothers led. For all that Joe is buttoned in and how So often the calls to be good and self-deny so that everybody loves me and I am happy are linked to you must be a young lady. They're Mm -hmm. so enmeshed with her gender. Mm -hmm. And Joe in so many ways, and Lou Alcott in many ways – Figured out how to embody themselves in a way that was comfortable for them, that was non-traditional. Say, I must be a father to these children. I am papa to the boys. And that's going to be my parenting relationship to my sister's children. Just, you know, just for one example, or to have this vastly wealthy literary empire, which while your mother grew up hauling you guys around from friends home to friends home in dire poverty, yeah. right? I think at heart, The Little Women story, the Lou Alcott story is about determining your own path. yes, And figuring out along with that what spirituality means for you, which again, by the end of Alcott's life meant something very, very different from this primordial 10 year old, I must pray to God to deny my temper and everyone will be happy and love me. (laughs) It's much evolved from that. And I, I think that's really what comforts me about the life of Lou Alcott. It makes me very sad That she died so young and in so much pain, and obviously, with I think creatively unfulfilled in many ways, Mm. but also in so many ways, her life and her work is just a wonderful example that nonconformity, dissent has always been here. And there's a rich, rich vein for us to tap into.
1: It's so rich. It honestly. Yeah. This, even the book Little Women is in many ways the opposite of a pilgrimage. It likes to yeah. say, right, here's the exact things you do, and then you'll yeah. be happy. And instead, it actually shows us the opposite. And I think even yeah. like Greta, Ger- <laughs> Greta Gerwig's movie is such a yeah. great example of playing with this idea even of... Mm-hmm the love story and the paths you're supposed to take. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's actually the opposite of Pilgrim's Progress. And that's why I think it is such a beautiful book. I want to say one thing at the end here, which is I am raising two kids, a 13 year old and an eight year old. Mm -hmm. And I was curious if you wanted to know my 13 year old's thoughts on little women and on (laughs) Joe being a gender nonconforming or, or possibly trans, you know, character. Mm -hmm. So I just read to my 13 year old from page four, what Joe is saying about herself. But I wish I had been born a boy, you know, all this yeah. stuff. And Ramon, my child was just like, Oh, Joe is trance. Like trance, <laughs> trans, trans. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And they're like, yeah, I've read some graphic novels and the only ones I like, Joe has to be gay, 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 and trans, 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 and everything else. No, Although my, although they did also say they only like the graphic novels where Beth
0: doesn't die. So those are their two (laughs) feedback points, which both go into this episode. Yeah. We've, we actually, we did an an interview with Kathleen Gross, the author of Joe and Adaptation of Little Women, sort of, which is one of those graphic novel adaptations where Joe is gay. Okay. So, if you're curious, you can go back and listen to that one. I don't know that there is one where Joe was trans, but there are definitely a couple where Joe is going on a journey and figuring out the gay. and we love that. I it's just the fact that is an adaptation that is available to like your kid is Hallelujah.
1: And my kid <laughs> loves it. And my yeah. kid can just sense a kindred yeah. spirit in Joe. Yeah. And I'm just, I know we can get all into academics mm-hmm. and all those things. but I'm like, talk to a 13 year old, right?
0: Yeah. And, and you know, I'm I'm not even saying, oh yeah, there are graphic novels in which Joe is queer. Joe is queer in the original text. Yes, that is the point of it. Exactly. The, exactly. You, you don't need to put goggles on it. You don't need to interpret it. It's not, you know, like, oh, I want to do a gay pride and prejudice where I don't know, Mr. Darcy is a woman. No, it's Little Women Stands Alone is a queer text. That's I think so. What I am saying. <laughs> and you have converted me. Yeah. You're listening to your podcast. I think I took one episode. That's all. Yeah. This is the only conversion I'm interested in doing. DL, can we end on a really stupid note? Yes. So when you were saying, and I mean a really stupid note, and I do apologize. When you were saying Dr. James Dobson of Focus on the Family was like, you need to start disciplining your children and their babies, drill it into them. It got me thinking about so... On the one hand, we have Dr. Jobson's authoritarian Christianity, which is if your child is old enough to crawl, he's old enough to be punished, right? Yep. And I just had to look this up to make sure that I was getting it right. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church takes a sort of different approach to this. Mormonism is all. I, I did a lot of academic work in on Mormonism in undergrad. I, it was sort of a way of me processing my evangelical childhood through kind of a parallel, but I, I'm reading this from the Church of Jesus Christ.org. the official stance of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that the Lord extends special protection to children and shares jurisdiction with earthly parents. Children cannot sin until they reach the age of accountability, which the Lord has declared to be eight years. So I, <laughs> you can't I, sin until you're eight. <laughs> you turn eight and you are defiled.
1: <laughs> but I until then- that I need all of us to check in and all the 8-year-olds in that yeah. religion just right now because that's a lot yeah. of pressure. <laughs> eight, I love how they have to get so specific.
0: <laughs> no, in, in I have fact, an 8-year-old. I got to go talk to him. Yeah, just let him know that he's now capable of sin. In fact, the power to even tempt them to commit sin has been taken from Satan. The prophet Mormon taught that little children are whole for they are not capable of committing sin. And I. <laughs> I
1: well, actually, that's I, a way better way to be raised than I was, right? I Which mean, is, I'm, I'm born with original sin that must be
0: taken. Yeah, out of I. And this goes on to sort of talk about baptizing babies. That's a mockery. I, I, I think this is very. Oh, I wow. think this this is a doctrinal. I would love to see. A Mormon and an evangelical Christian go toe to toe on this point. I think it's very funny. This is not an endorsement of Mormonism, by the way. I, I, I was just or reminded. the age of
1: accountability as yes, or the, the concept, age of yes, accountability.
0: Okay. Right, you were free of sin until you are eight. Blow out those candles, and, that, oh, and that's
1: poor, it. Poor eight-year-olds. You
0: know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's a hard year. It was a hard year. I, <laughs> oh my god, DL! Thank you so much for coming here. What a ride this has been. Where can people find you online? Uh, How can they support your work? What's going on?
1: Yeah, so I mostly hang out on Substack. I have a Substack called Healing is My Special Interest. It used to be called God is My Special Interest, (laughs) but I deconverted quite suddenly from Christianity uh, a year ago. And yeah, that's I'm talking about stuff. I'm actually, my special interest right now, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. is Christian fascism. I hope to... Not have that always be my special interest, but we are talking about that and healing from high control religion. I also have a podcast right now. It's about the good place. But if you go back to old seasons, we talk a lot about evangelical subculture. We have a whole season on DC talks, Jesus freaks, (laughs) which talks a lot about the weird martyr complex fetish stuff that people are (laughs) interested in Beth March. Well. I have some stuff about that in the 90s with DC Talk and Billy Graham, a whole season on it called Prophetic Imagination Station or This is the Bad Place.
0: Yes. And that's kind of it. Yeah. I mean, I recommend watching The Good Place if you haven't already and then going and listening to DL's podcast about it. That's my recommendation. We're having a lot of
1: fun. We're having a lot of fun talking about it.
0: I also want to say I feel incredibly seen by Chidiana Gagne. I think he is OCPD representation. (laughs) I'm going to diagnose him right here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's the reason I actually did end up talking to a therapist about myself having... Moral scrupulosity. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, his
0: character has probably helped a lot of people. I definitely think so. I, so thank you again, Michael Sher. Mm-hmm. a friend of the show, he doesn't listen. As always, I'm your host, Peyton Thomas. You can find me online at peytonthomas.ca. You can buy my book, Both Sides Now, wherever you buy books. I'm sorry, I am just reading here, again, on churchofjesuschrist.org, that all children who die before the age of accountability are pure, innocent, and holy, sin-free, and they are saved in the celestial kingdom of heaven. So if you do die before you're eight, don't worry about it. <laughs> Some do <of> the- <laughs> not
1: worry about Don't
0: even stress. I <laughs> It just, it just reminds me of what we're thinking about with Beth. Uh, too bad she died at 19 or whatever. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. You can now also find us on Instagram. We are at Joe's Boys Pod. And I'm sorry, I am going to have to bring us back to the beginning of the show on at Joe's Boys Pod. Uh, And in the show notes, you can find the link to donate to the memorial fund for Claudia Morales's partner, Ryan Carson, and also be posting a link there to the Louise May Alcott birthday celebration for Lou Alcott on November 26. So see you there. And we will be back in two weeks with Tori Peters. Heard of her author of a little novel called Detransition Baby. It's going to be really, really good. We're back with Laurie and Amy's courtship. Stick around. (laughs)